Hey folks, it's Jared. My guest this week is Yulian Pavlak, and we're discussing a 2022 paper he did on the strategic importance of NATO's north flank. This episode was edited and produced by Jim Jarvie. Here at SimSec, we aim to further international maritime security through an exchange of ideas and the rigor of critical thought and writing. If you haven't already, please check out simsec.org for new articles on the most important maritime topics. If you'd like to contribute to the discussion, check out the Write for SimSec tab to learn how you can submit articles for publication. Finally, I want to take the opportunity to recommend our partners in the SimSec podcast network, the Bilge Pumps. You can find Alex, Jamie, Drack, and a pile of iron brew bottles wherever you download your podcasts. And with that, Kimber's men. You're listening to Sea Control, hosted by the Center for International Maritime Security. Aloha, Shumates, and welcome back aboard Sea Control. My guest today is Julian Pavlak, and we're going to be discussing his 2022 report for the German Institute for Defense and Strategic Studies, Collective Defense and Bastion, the Strategic Importance of NATO's Northern Flank. So, Julian, welcome back. Could you start by reminding the listeners a little bit more about your background, please? Sure. Hi, Jared. I'm a research associate with the German Armed Forces University in Hamburg, where I'm also the coordinator of the interdisciplinary research focus for maritime security. And at the moment, I'm visiting fellow at the Swedish Defense University in Stockholm. As a reminder to the listeners, all opinions are our own and not reflective of any institution with which we might be otherwise associated. We'll start. Is the northern flank still an appropriate descriptor with the addition of Finland and Sweden and NATO? Hopefully, Sweden and NATO very shortly now that uh, is Turkey has pushed it forward. Um, yeah, true. Hopefully, soon it will change. No, um, I mean, the first thing is, after all, that there is no coherent definition of a northern flank, right? So you have different descriptions, yes, but not a general one. And they, um, changed also during the the years, basically. So if we look a little bit back, the name itself stems from, from its Cold War origins, of course. So the designation as a northern flank is based primarily on the calculation or the, the expectation of a comprehensive, decisive land battle would have had in, in Central Europe, right? Or in, in, in Central Germany in particular. So while that's not the case anymore, the name NATO's northern flank remained. And also before uh, Finland and Sweden were about to join NATO, and um, we still use this description, you're right. So for the study or for today's understanding on the definition, it, it bases on the idea, on a concept of what I call like bridging the gaps, because it, it helps to show the, or, or to, to identify this strategic region, because we have Basically, one strategic area, and it includes the different important gaps. So, on the one hand, the the famous UK gap, uh, gap uh, Greenland, Iceland, UK gap, from the North Atlantic to the Norwegian Sea. On the other, if you go further north, the Bear Gap. So, from Norway to Svalbard, where you you have the the maritime corridor, so to say, to the to the Barents Sea and to the Arctic. And of course, if you go to the east, the Suvalki Gap, so next to the Baltic Sea between Poland and Lithuania and Kaliningrad. So you see that all this, this area put together is one big security complex, so to say, which includes different operational areas, but which are all of importance and have applications on each other. So 
I would say, yeah, the, the wording is one thing, but on the other, it's uh, very important to understand that we have one overarching uh, security context here, which you can still define or, or also call a northern flank because it's still a flank or one of the, the main areas for, for NATO to, to deal with. So we should timestamp this for the listeners. I forgot that early on here, but we're recording this Saturday, October 28th. So are there any sort of developments uh, related to anything that we're talking about that occur after this? That's why we're not bringing it up. But how did the northern flank flank factor into alliance thinking during the Cold War? And how did that thinking change over the course of the Cold War? Um, Yeah, I mean, it was also part of various changes in policy and not only policy, but also NATO's membership structure, force organization, capabilities, capacities, all had an influence on the flank itself, on the the thinking about the flank, on the strategic role. And also, for instance, you had advanced technologies changing the, the area. You had different areas of operation, which fell into a, in a different weight for the strategic thinking. So as uh, just said, uh, on the one hand, we had the northern flank as a more tactical northern flank compared to the main European central front. So actually, in the beginning, you had the, the first descriptions of a northern flank only limited to um, the geographical area of uh, southern Scandinavia. So the Baltic Sea, its approaches, the Danish Straits, because this was like the, the immediate northern part of the Central European uh, front. So this changed later on, like with the naval arms race at sea, uh, which we had in the in the 70s and later on you know, in the 80s when, when you had uh, the concept of maritime operations of NATO, Conmarps, so where you had to deal with the Soviet Navy, which became like increasingly strong in terms of size and capabilities. So we have had real highlight of, of the relevance of, for instance, also the Norwegian Sea for uh, defense planning, because if we consider the, the flexible response, for instance, so the relevance of the SLOCs, the sea lines of communication was even more important for providing yeah credible conventional deterrence also to to Europe because of course you need to to safely bring over reinforcements from the US from Canada as well to the UK and then to the European mainland so this was already a change in the the perspective on how the northern european waters basically been seen and then on the other you needed to deal with the idea of or with the with the plans, for instance, of the Soviet Navy to reach on the one end through the uh, Baltic and the Danish Straits into into the North Sea and from, from the other to come over the Norwegian Sea, for instance, to the Atlantic. So you had very different, um, very different tasks and and changes over the years in the strategic perspective on this area. So eventually, this changed back again after after, of course. Uh, uh, after the end of the Cold War, some years of um, neglect. And um, now again, it is recognized as a crucial strategic importance for NATO. And uh, my, my friend and colleague Jeremy Sturz called it very well from, from battlefront to backwater and back again, like the, that you have this twofold strategic paradigm shift along Europe's shores, which uh, yeah, describes it pretty well, I, I would say. Do the Russian and NATO command and control arrangements for this area mirror one another? And if not, how are they differentiated? Well, I 
would not say mirror directly, but of course you have or definitely adaptations on both sides, right? For, for NATO side, we had it already before the, the, the beginning of the reinvasion of Ukraine now, for instance, with the creation of JFC Norfolk or, or Joint Force Command Norfolk already in, in 2019, following the initial beginning of the war in, in 2014. So already underlining the, the growing strategic importance of the Northern Atlantic, of, of the Northern European region at all from NATO, right? And, um, now with the Finnish, uh, Finnish and Swedish admission to NATO and the debate, the the debate developing to what uh, command like will be responsible also for both or where where they they will join to Norfolk or to Brunson, meaning including a more central Eastern European oriented area with the Baltic and and uh, the Baltic states, for instance, or more into the northern area, including the North Atlantic, the Norwegian Sea, the Arctic. So this is of course yeah of of importance because. Uh, you, you need to, to have a quick approach kind of for the, for the countries also to be there. And um, if we look at the Russian side, interestingly, there we can also see um, adaptations, um, for instance, regarding its yeah, military organization, um, which have been frequently in, in the recent years, if you, if you take a look at this. But let's say very famously in, in 2021, when the Northern Fleet actually became an own military district, right? And to the to the northern military district. But now quite recently it was like that the 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 news or the development that this will transform back actually to the Leningrad or St. Petersburg military district. So the whole organization will be split back into into St. Petersburg and Moscow like you had it already before 2010, actually. So you even see here the same that adaptations are starting to the changing strategic situation on the northern flank. So it's not only, of course, NATO or the West and, and NATO adapting, but um, of course also um, on the Russian military level. How is Russian thinking about the north flank changed? Um, yeah, this um, definitely links together, right? So. Uh, as we said initially, so you don't have any more the thinking about you need to provide for the old Soviet Navy the, the access to the Atlantic or the breakthrough through the Baltic and the Danish Straits. In fact, you can see if you look last year, the, the 2022 maritime doctrine by Russia, uh, for example, clearly shows that now the Arctic is the main maritime priority or the most prioritized region followed then by the Pacific and the uh, Atlantic area afterwards. So in the latter, you see if we, if we stay with the Atlantic area or the, or the northern flank, you see that there NATO's capacities and capabilities, maritime and also, of course, other uh, domains are the main concern for the, um, uh, uh, one of the main strategic concern for the, for the Russian, Russian thinking. And this, of course, still makes sense even when, when you don't prioritize it so much anymore be, um, compared to the other maritime uh, regions because on the one hand, yes, we have the the Kola uh, Peninsula with the nuclear of course deterrence traction from from Russian side, the bastion concept you uh, still would try to um, to keep up in the region. On the other, you still rely on the Baltic Sea and the Baltic Sea lines of communication 
on the one hand for the large parts of the economy, which, which still goes there from the, or, or seaborne sea trade economy for Russia. On the other, of course, because you still have the enclave of uh, Kaliningrad and you, you don't want to, to leave it uh, defenseless, uh, uh, so to say, in the region. So you still have factors and areas which make it very important for you. And then even now with the, the prolonging of the, of the NATO-Russia border, on the other, which uh, Finland joining the alliance, this also, of course, plays, plays into the role that from the Russian perspective, you see that there's a uh, 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 yeah, very high level of, um, of, of now NATO forces actually in front of your door and, and capable. And you, from, from this perspective, at least, um, of course, try to, to react to this and rebuild um, and, um, forces, capabilities and capacities as you actually have had in the, in the, the years before the war and with the Russian military modern, modernization, we have had an increase of capabilities, of capacities, more modern units um, in the maritime domain. We, we talked in the years about the famous calibrization of the fleet with particularly smaller units, um, which getting more capable and which is now basically confronted with the fact that um, also in all those areas in, in the Baltic fleet and Northern fleet, we have a large decrease of forces due to the invasion of Ukraine, right? So as for instance, when, when you have reports from the Norwegian colleagues talking about that Russian capacities in the region are back to one-fifth of, of what they were before, um, this is, of course, I mean, you, you can argue that they don't still have the naval components or, or many of them are still up there, which are not locked in the, in the Black Sea, but um, still you have, you have issues and it will be interesting how this will change again in the, in the, in the upcoming years in terms of the strategic importance. And um, because, of course, what uh, from the Russian side has been said is that, again, you will strengthen your military capabilities in, in Northwest Russia following Finland's uh, entry to NATO and, and probably Sweden's entry to NATO. And of course, what will happen in fact is, is another thing, but I think you, there was some, some weeks ago or just, just recently the news also about the uh, Russian Corvettes. It will be uh, based in the uh, Lake Ladoga near Finland. So to perhaps have a, have a more safe maritime area for them to to stay in the baltic but i'm not so sure if, if that's the, if that's if that's the case actually but this is what what the news are told right and what is interestingly um to to see is that the baltic white sea canal actually is getting more importance with that which is often when you talk about the baltic overlooked because you you just talk we, you have the entrance through the Dennis Straits and the Kiel Canal but of course there's the the possibility to move smaller vessels compared to to the other entrances but there to the White Sea and from the from the north basically to the Baltic and back again and those Russian corvettes are of course built particularly to move on the the yeah inner rivers if you want so within Russia then this is a perfect opportunity so this is a really interesting development to see how, how and if this will, will become uh, yeah, even of a higher importance in, in this regard.
Yeah, I'll be interested to see it develop. I mean, I think there's a lot of justifiable questions and skepticism about the Russian capacity upgrade, given the performance that we've seen in and around the Black Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and secondly, when we talk about like, moving a couple of Corvettes around, I mean, how much actual firepower are they delivering as they move it around? And I, I'm, I'm not sure that I buy that they're quote unquote safer on an inland no, lake no. that's like within, you know, fighter bomber distance, you know, from a potential adversary's border. Like that seems to me like you were just kind of setting them on a pond there to be, to be struck. Uh, as well as like, you know, inland waterways are also notoriously difficult to navigate and easy, easily obstructed. Um, so it, exactly. it'll be interesting to see uh, all this. I, I mean, I think Finland, Sweden, like I, I agree 100% with Sebastian Bruins that like the Baltic is not a NATO lake, but is a very challenging body of water. It's going to be extremely challenging for the Russians. It's challenging for NATO as it is, but were they to want to do anything in that area, I I don't see how those forces would continue to exist if you're talking about like the NATO fires and strike complex that they would be facing and like the, the opportunities that they would have to evade that complex. Um, but you published this in March. Yeah, true. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh. Yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. That this would be, of course, uh, uh, if, we, if we stay off the Baltic, of this region quite difficult for so both sides. What I'm thinking about or, or to see is uh, if we if we now um, consider the Black Sea and Ukraine approaches uh, to, to naval warfare in this regard, you see that even if you have a limited uh, coastal area and a limited naval force, you can um, have a huge impact on the whole um, naval theater or, or operational area in this regard, right? And um, I mean, we we see in this with the developments of NATO in the Baltic Sea region that yeah, Russia has a limited coastal area and a limited presence in the Baltic Sea. But I'm thinking about how how would they learn from this? How would they adapt about um, having perhaps limited means in a region, but you can still denial on on paper way larger force, um, yeah, just to operate or to put such a high risk or stake in the region that it. Yeah, operating would be perhaps very costly. So, so this is a yeah development we will need to to observe definitely. All right, appropriate transition because you published this in March 2022, meaning it was probably completed some months prior to Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February of that year. So, how have you observed the, the alliances thinking changed since? Yeah, definitely. I think the most important uh, uh, changes or, or changes in thinking are. Of course, the, the new strategic concept when you have the, the back to, to core of deterrence and, and collective defense, the new force model, um, the, the admission of new states, as, as we just talked about, Finland and hopefully soon Sweden. So there's a lot of changing of the alliance and there are a lot of change regarding the strategic weight also of the, of the north flank or the northeastern area. On the one hand, of course, because of the... Uh, of the impact of the Russian war in, in Ukraine and for for those regions and the 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 relevance of NATO again for the region and to think about Russia and how to deal with it and on the other of course the the political weight it's uh, increasing the relevance of the region and on the other observe 
change of thinking, of course, the changes in the respective member states, like in the states in, in Northern and Eastern Europe in, in particular. So we have on the one hand, a lot of changes and adaptations besides the, the alliance level, of course, on the, um, on the single state level, you have them as well. I think the, yeah, sure. The most famous one due to the uh, wording, the, the German lender, the sea change, um, besides it's real, uh, like the reality what's happening, at least the, the name is, or, or calling it is like very, um, yeah, it's, it's a wording which keeps up with the changes, but. Then you have yeah change in, in increased procurement and capabilities and, and force restructuring, for instance. But on the other, which is interesting that many of those statements, and this is particularly on the on the nation level or alliance member saying about the, the now changed security situation, the turn back to, to defense and high intensity warfare against a peer competitor. If you if you look back eight years or nine years, you, you have had similar statements already after 2014, right? And you said, okay, now we need to change back everything and to, to this kind of defense. And there's a little bit of a discrepancy here. Like, okay, what, what really happened then in those eight years when you, at some point you can, you can look at statements which look very similar and yeah, was it, yeah, still not realized. So this is. Hopefully a change we can consider now that this was a final wake-up call. Um, There's still a long way to go to really have a really achieve what, what the states are all aiming for, actually. Well, I'm sorry that that's all we have time for today. I'd like to thank my guest, Julian Pavlaka. Julian, where can we find you online and what are you working on next? Um, yeah, you can um, still find me on on Twitter or Ict, basically, um, but not not so active there anymore. But but still available on the other. And I'm uh, still working here on my on my study about uh, actually actually what we just talked about about the changing security strategies of the nation states here around the Baltic region following Russian war in in Ukraine, basically already since 2014. Well, thank you again for joining us, to the listeners. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Where? Wow.